This is Alex Pearson. Conversations uh, with my chief of staff, with Katie Telford, on this subject. I have had many of them, many of them, over long periods of times, over many years, because it's an issue that needs to be taken seriously. So seriously, they just won't investigate it. That's how serious they are. And a good Friday morning to you. Yes, Friday, April 14th. Whoa, it has been an unbelievably fast week. That was just one of the fastest weeks, and it was busy. And certainly uh, great to have you because it's also been a fantastically beautiful summer week. Whether it lasts or not, I don't care. We got a taste of it, and um, I think it does a world of good just to have hot weather and a peak of summer. So um, enjoy. I think it's going to be a pretty nice weekend. What a great day for golf. If you can get out and golf... Nice day for that. Nice day for a patio. Nice day just to get out. And uh, it's also going to be a busy, busy news day. So I'm not sure really how this day ends, but it will get covered. Certainly we know it'll be a big day of theater in Ottawa. Katie Telford, Justin Trudeau, uh, his chief of staff, will testify at this committee hearing. Uh, and it starts at noon. And remember, the liberals did not want her to appear at this thing. In fact, they did whatever they possibly could to block this. And uh, they just couldn't make that happen. But I thought it was interesting to hear these comments that Trudeau said ahead of today's um, hearing that uh, he and Telford, well, they talk about interference all the time. All the time they talk about it over yoga, coffee, you name it. All the time they talk about it. For years they've been talking about it, apparently. They're so seized with it. Um, they just don't talk to anyone else about it. Like they don't talk to the police or CSIS. They just talk to themselves, just the two of them. That's what we call trying to get ahead of the narrative. We talk about it all the time. So then when I guess we hear her testify, she'll say, well, we do talk about it all the time. Did you tell anyone? No, we do talk about it. So is today a show? Yeah, of course it will be. She will not say much because she can't. And uh, national security issues will certainly give her a lot of cover on the questions she should answer. The, the answer we really need is who knew what and when? What did they do about it? And that's not a national security issue. That's a simple who knew what, when, and what did you do about it? But no one should hold their breath for this answer because we're not going to get it. And, of course, it all comes on the backdrop of this follow to the Trudeau Foundation, something Trudeau also not, he does not want to talk about this at all, does not want to talk about this. It's all politics. Not only is he insisting this, but all the, like, old guard liberals coming out now going, this is all politics. This is Pierre Pauly ever playing politics. And it's like, like, at no point do they reflect and say, oh, I can't polish this turd anymore. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about this more certainly in uh, the 10 o'clock hour, because it is a very big story, and um, we can't stop talking about it because that's what the politicians want us to do. They want us to, talk, they want us to stop talking about the big stuff so we get distracted by all the uh, other little inconsequential stuff. And we do get distracted very easily these days, and the news cycles are so relentless that it's easy to do. Like, we get big consequential issues, and then it's, like, forgotten the next day, and then, you know, we're a very distractible society. And so let's talk about something I don't think we should be talking about nearly as much. Certainly not as much as we are. So after today, unless something really fantastic is talked about on this issue, I'm not going to talk about it because it's not something we should be talking about because there's so many things going on, things that are going wrong, certainly in the city of Toronto. Why is Ontario Place taking up all this oxygen in this election? Why? I mean, this thing was closed by the Wynn government back in 2012. It certainly wasn't a priority to them. They just shuttered it and walked away. Because here we are in 2023, the thing's still collecting cobwebs, and we're talking about it when it's 
not a need, not a demand, and it's not a priority. It would be nice to do all sorts of things, but it's right now, this is not in like a list of top 10 issues I think that candidates should be talking about. This is a legacy piece. Talking about Ontario Place is a legacy project. It's one of those things that in 20 years they'll say, oh, remember when Doug Ford put a blah, blah, blah there? This was his vision. This is what it is. It's a legacy project. So I don't want to hear about it in the municipal election. This is mainly a provincial issue. So this is mainly a Doug Ford issue, and yet we've talked for the last week about all this stuff we're going to do, stuff that's provincial jurisdiction that will take years, years to deliver. Like, if it's done before I'm dead, I, it would be a miracle. And that's like in, what, 45, it's like a long time, hopefully. But it also can't be done without spending hundreds and hundreds of, and millions of dollars that we don't have. And um, you'll recall Anna Bailao kicking off this conversation, um, you know, that she would move the Science Center to the Ontario Place, to Ontario Place, you know, and she likely knew about the announcement because the province was already looking at doing something like this because, lo and behold, Doug Ford comes out yesterday and talks to the media, pretty much confirms, yeah, yeah, we're thinking about it. Uh, we'll tell you next week. When it comes to uh, the Science Center, uh, that came on the table probably a year ago, and I, I personally think it's a great idea. But if I told you now, my Minister of Infrastructure would shoot me on the spot. So can you stay tuned till next week? But I think it's a fabulous idea, and there's a tremendous opportunity. So I, I just, I think you know where we're going on that. Yep. So we're going to get this announcement next week, and yet takes another of uh, Bailao's promises off the table. Remember, she was uh, first talking about cell phones on transit. That's off the table. Now the Science Center. Apparently that's off the table. Maybe she should, Anna Bailau and her campaign should run all her ideas out now and we can get them all solved before the election because apparently that's how this is going to work. But how is moving the Science Center even a priority? Cool place. Love it. Was there like two weeks ago. But moving this is not a priority. Not for Bailau, not for the Premier. It comes with all sorts of like bravado and promises of opportunity. And it would be cool to be down there like, yeah, sure, all these things are nice. But the Science Center cost $30 million to build back in 71. So to rebuild it in this day and age on a waterfront, uh, that's going to cost well over $350 bucks. It's very expensive. And then you have to ask, is this on top of a $450 million parking lot that we're apparently building? Like, is this part of like the, the spa it's like, go to the science center, your kids freak you out and get you stressed, then you go to the spa. I don't know how any of this is going to work. I just know that everything we're talking about for this legacy project is going to cost us money we don't have. And, and certainly not where I would put the money. It's not where we need the money. And so, you know, we get this promise of investing in the future. We're going to be told this is all about the future of tourism. Uh, it'll promise new housing. But again, the promise of housing is going to take years, years. I mean, the city of, of Toronto, and we, we've talked about this a couple of times, the city of Toronto, they put this deal together in 2019, this 10-year deal to build housing, affordable housing. Not one shovel has gone in the ground. Four years and not one house has been built. Not one house. And we're supposed to get excited about all these promises of housing in the future that we all know, like... Try to get the, the shovel in the ground for the 2019 project. So it's all just talk. 
I mean, the premier is going to take the headlines on this because the distraction will work for him. But we don't need distractions for the city of Toronto. We need leadership and we need real answers and real ideas on how all of the stuff confronting us day by day is going to get fixed. So instead of talking about Ontario Place, it would be really nice if the reporters maybe demand to Ford, like explain, will this solve mental health issues? Because that's his jurisdiction. Mental health is his jurisdiction. It's where the money comes from. It's where the beds come from. Is there an actual plan? That should have been asked of him yesterday. What are you going to do about this? And Anna Bylaw will take the headlines for this idea, but it is an idea uh, that was obviously well underway. And was this something that Mark Saunders suggested? Don't forget, he was hired by Doug Ford at a cost of, what, 171000 a year? He was a special advisor for Ontario Place, and, and that was a gig that was supposed to run until 2024, and he uh, left. Is moving the Science Centre on his uh, list of ideas? I guess uh, if this all came out uh, after the show, or I would have asked him. And he wouldn't have told me anyway, because he doesn't answer questions. He has a, certainly a lot of ideas, but as you heard, getting an actual detail of how this will be done. How are you going to pay for 200 transit constables? How is this going to be paid for? How is it going to be done? Where's the budget coming from? Doesn't answer. I mean, when we can't fill potholes, frankly, I do not care if we leave grass growing on Ontario Place. We have raging violence in this city fueled by mental health and addiction issues, homeless people, and we have no money or resources apparently to fix this. We just have a whole bunch of politicians talking about how great it will be or for all of us if we can go to the Science Centre and put our hand and make our hair stand up. And I get it. Ontario Place is a wasted opportunity. But it's a wasted opportunity because all these politicians talk a lot and have had no vision to get anything done with our front uh, waterfront real estate that was needed years ago. So unless Science Centre can offer a place for mental health treatment or solves all this escalating violence, it's a nice idea. But we should not be giving it this much airtime. Those people who are trying to get short-term political gain by increasing polarization and partisanship in this country by launching completely unfounded and ungrounded uh, attacks against uh, charities or uh, foundations um, must not succeed. All righty, so the Prime Minister says questions about Chinese interference and uh, the Trudeau Foundation are nothing more than toxic politics, when actually the concern is and should be whether the foundation bearing his uh, last name has been compromised. And so this week we heard the board uh, members resigned en masse suddenly with uh, the, you know, the climate becoming very divided and corrosive after questions surfaced about this donation of $200,000 made back in 2016 that CSIS alleged was part of this interference campaign to either get access to the prime minister or help you know, him, him with, win the, you know, the election. And the foundation said after these uh, allegations came forward, um, it had returned the check, but now we learn well, they couldn't because either the name wasn't real or the donor wasn't registered. And according to the Globe and Mail reporting, the uh, now former board members had demanded an investigation because they were so alarmed about the information. They wanted to even call the AG, the Auditor General, but that investigation got shut down. And there was a resistance from the older guard of the foundation uh, to move forward on anything. So the saying is, look, follow the dollar. And every t time we uh, read about this story, 
we learn that none of this adds up. Margaret McQuay Johnson is a former senior government official who worked on Chinese issues as well as a senior fellow over at the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Ottawa. Good morning to you. Good morning, Alex. Whole bunch of moving parts on this because, of course, uh, you know, all of this coming on the week that we're going to hear from Katie Telford as she testifies uh, at 1145. Um, what do you make, uh, Margaret, kind of looking at the big picture right now? You've got a, pro- a prime minister saying this is all politics, and yet you've got a board that resigned because they didn't like what they saw, and yet they couldn't get it looked into. So where, where's your perspective on, on what we're seeing? Well, there's no doubt that the Conservatives are taking advantage of this politically, but uh, there, there really is. A significant problem at the foundation and it goes back to 2016 when it was announced that these two billionaires were going to give uh, $200,000 to the foundation um, and then once the the paperwork started for that um, it turned out that the money wasn't actually coming from the billionaires themselves it was coming from one of the companies of the billionaire uh, to the Canadian branch of the billionaire. Mm-hmm. But then instructions came from China not to put the receipt out in that name, to, to send the receipt to the company's Hong Kong office. Turns out that office doesn't exist. And they had a further callback um, after that, telling them to send the receipt to Beijing. So, you know, they, they should not have been um, following through on all of these different instructions that were coming actually through a cultural group, a Beijing-based uh, group called the China Cultural Industry Association, which has nothing to do with the individual billionaires, as far as we know. And so, you know, this it's a management problem at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. And when it came time to try to return the money, uh, it turned out it couldn't be returned to the donor, um, to his house. There was nobody home. And in, a, in any event, it hadn't come from the donor anyway. So this is mm-hmm. one huge uh, bureaucratic mess in, in terms of running this program. It's complicated also by the fact that it was signed off by the Prime Minister's brother, Alexandre Trudeau, who signed the original yeah. agreement with the billionaires. And yeah. so um, this is, this is you know, complex and just it, it's a big mess. Yeah, a stink bomb, uh, someone called it uh, in the, the, the press uh, coverage of this. Um, but it was Morris Rosenberg, the longtime civil servant who was running the foundation at this time. He stated after this whole thing kind of erupted that the check had been sent back. And he's the guy who is actually supposed to sign off on these checks. And and so then we learn the brother of the prime minister was the one, um, you know, who signed off on this. And then you've got Alan Rock out on the TV shows yesterday saying, this is all Pierre Pauly ever making politics about this. This is crazy. This is ridiculous. The bottom line is, if something doesn't look right, uh, Margaret, uh, then chances are you should investigate it. And I think if the prime minister is so concerned about this, which is, you know, if someone's paying this foundation to work against our interests or even the foundation's interests, you would think they'd want this investigated to make sure that it's protected. And yet all we're getting is, you know, um, uh, distractions and, and a lot of politics. Right. Um, and, you know, no one disputes the fact that the Trudeau Foundation does good work providing scholarships to students. There's no question about that. Uh, so Alan Rock is completely correct on the, the good work that it does. Polyev, of course, is taking advantage of 
the confusion to lob uh, pot shots at the prime minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps we'll get some clarification from the prime minister's chief of staff this afternoon in her testimony. But, you know, it, all of this is, is um, really sad because it looked like the, the government had turned the corner on China. We had the Huawei ban last year. Then we had a really strong Indo-Pacific strategy that was effectively a pivot away from China to broaden and deepen Canada's relations with other countries in the region. And then we had Parliament uh, voting unanimously uh, uh, in favor of bringing 10,000 Uyghurs to Canada mm-hmm. uh, to support them. Um, I, I would mention in passing on that, that Han Dong, the MP who has now stepped aside from the Liberal caucus, uh, got up and left just before that vote. He was the only one in Parliament who did not stay for that vote. Um, so it, per, presumably he didn't want his... Uh, uh, friends at the embassy and the consulate to be uh, angry at, at him for voting uh, to bring Uyghurs to Canada. Uh, so you know this is uh, this is one big big mess, and uh, it, I, it's right that the foundation has launched uh, uh, an audit, a forensic audit of this, and uh, no doubt we'll be hearing more about this in the coming months. Well, no doubt there'll be more uh, information that comes out. And, um, you know, this is a foundation that was set up with $125 million of public money. And so we have every right to know what's going on with it. Um, but this opens up a, a couple of, of other issues. Uh, Morris Rosenberg it, was also tasked with writing a report on Chinese interference in the 2021 election. I mean, he didn't know about this check. He didn't sign off on the check. He, he you know, he, he said in his report that there were attempts to interfere, just didn't threaten the election. So, look... It, whether he's the most amazing person in the world, he may have the best reputation, but on optics alone, I'm not sure he had all the facts. Um, and, you know, and then we've got Dave Johnson, David Johnson, who was also part of the foundation. Um, you know, he would have been probably privy to a lot of the d- politics going on behind the scenes. And yet, uh, you know, he, he's heading this other investigation to see if we need an inquiry when the easiest thing and probably the smartest thing would have been get the inquiry now. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people are calling for the inquiry to be announced now. Um, it's certainly true that in 2016, it was a different time uh, when uh, we were hoping to have a free trade negotiation with China. Uh, we were shown the door when, when the prime minister said he wanted to include things like labor rights and environmental standards in that. Um, but, you know, we have to understand that the way China works is to... Um, insinuate themselves into a society at all kinds of different levels. And the fact that they gave a lot of money uh, to um, a foundation associated with the Trudeau family and the prime minister, um, even though he says he's not been part of it, surely his brother would have mentioned something about having just participated in a signing agreement, which would give the prime minister warm feelings about China and how they're trying to help uh, Canadians and help their, their, the foundation. The, the one thing that hasn't really been uh, focused on in all of this is that uh, apparently the, the two billionaires ostensibly gave 750000 to the University of Montreal. Yeah, and they're um, thinking about returning it. It's like, well, what's to think about? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And and was it really the billionaires who gave it, or was it a, another story about, well, it's this company and it's a, this branch. No, send it to this other address. 
Um, and so there really is a need to do a review of that. Um, and, uh, you know, so far they, they haven't given it back or tried to give it back as far as we know. Yeah, look, I, why do you think there's so much indifference to this? Like, there was an obsession over Trump with Russian collusion. There, you know, Australia has been warning right, left, and center, you've got to get on this. Why, why is this being met with a shrug? Why, why is there so much indifference to kind of just, like, shrugging this off? Well, it's hard to see, you know, what you can actually do to prevent this kind of Chinese interference. Certainly uh, the part of it that relates to electoral interference uh, should have some actions that the government can can do, even if it's just sending back Chinese uh, diplomats. Um, you know, but China's practice is to use organizations like the foundation to, uh, as I say, insinuate themselves into other countries in, in a constructive, positive way. Uh, and now that we see China's be- real behavior under Xi Jinping, uh, where there's been tangible interference, it's really surprising and alarming that the prime minister didn't act on it in 2019 and 2021 when he received really specific briefings from CSIS that, that you know, the government needed to act on this. And it didn't. And so now, you know, we have um, national security officials in the Canadian government somewhere. We don't know where, um, you know, leaking information so that the Canadian public will have a better understanding of what this country, China, is trying to do to our democracy to abuse the openness of it. Yeah, well, stay tuned on this. Nonetheless, uh, the question we need is, what did you know, when, and what did you do about it? And I don't think we'll get that answer, which means we don't get the answers we need. Let's talk about brands. If you've got one, you want to use it, you want to make money off of it, and you can if you play the game right, but it can go very, very wrong. There's a couple of headlines this week that uh, certainly... Bring that conversation to us. One involves Budweiser, which has lost $5 billion over the hiring of its latest celebrity influencer. And then there's this other story um, about celebrities, athletes, and influencers who may lose their opportunity to make a lot of money on ads promoting online gaming. And uh, the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario is proposing banning high profile influencers. So we're talking about guys like Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky signed a multi-million dollar, um, you know, contract to shill for the online gaming. But, you know, Austin Matthews, a bunch of them do it. There's a whole bunch of them doing it. Jamie Foxx just signed an enormous deal, um, you know, to to endorse the online gaming. But, you know, as far as... uh, um, the Alcohol and Gaming Commission are concerned. They're worried that this will influence young people to take up gambling. But if you can't advertise and it's the brand you want to use and build to help your brand, you're going to find a way to advertise one way or another. So let me bring in David Soberman to this conversation, professor of marketing and the Canadian National Chair of Strategic Marketing with the Rotman School of Business. Good to have you, Dave. Hello, how are you? Oh, it's been a busy Friday. These are interesting stories, though, and um, I'm certain it's got some people in um, Hollywood as well as athletics talking. Uh, This move, well, maybe not because it's only in Ontario, but the Alcohol Gaming Commission of Ontario is proposing. They haven't done it yet, but they're looking for feedback on banning guys like Wayne Gretzky or Austin Matthews from making money and using their image to sell online gaming um, or gambling. 
And it, this might play well for people in Ontario because I know it does bother some people. But again, I'm not sure it's going to stop anything. Well, it's interesting, but if we sort of look at other categories like tobacco and alcohol, current athletes are prevented from being used in advertising for those products. So given that there is a limitation on gambling to 19 people that are 19 years of age and older, um, it would seem to make sense or it would be justified given the way that other categories are also regulated in this way. Yeah. And as I understand, like the, this company that, um, you know, it, there's a lot of regulations as to who can gamble and they're apparently pretty careful about minors getting online. But, you know, if, if they can't advertise in, in Ontario, uh, they'll just go to Quebec or they'll go to, to other places to, to advertise. And really the way I, I see this, David, the, only, the, the ones that get hurt by this are people in radio or maybe television who would make money off the ad revenue because they'll just go on the Internet. You can advertise. There's no regulation there. Well, that's true. I think one of the a real challenge is today is it's a bit like the Wild West when you talk about all the different ways that products can be marketed. However, I would still say that television and certainly for sporting events, given that we're talking about sports betting, the vast majority of that is still uh, done on live television. And so these regulations would have a bite. I would also imagine, too, that this is the sort of thing that's being looked at at other provinces. I mean, I think there is a lot of literature which says that gambling can be a problem, gambling addiction is an issue. And mm -hmm. I was looking at a website recently for my hometown, Kingston, Ontario, and one of the problems with gambling addiction is that um, certain groups, especially youth, are especially vulnerable to this. So I think there definitely is an argument for thinking about this, whether or not it would actually reduce the problem is another question. On the other side of this, when you get a guy like Wayne Gretzky, and I think people were surprised that he did this, like the comments that I've heard is like, why would he do this? He doesn't need the money. And isn't he supposed to be like the good guy, a bit pure in that? So it's an image thing. And so why are all these celebrities and influencers and let's say uh, Wayne Gretzky's of the world, why are they so willing? Do they not worry about their brand being damaged by, by doing this? Well, I guess in a broader sense is that when people are thinking about gambling, certainly adults, and they decide to do it, they're doing it to have some fun. And so we're talking to the 99% of the population that does gambling for fun, not, not the 1% that become addicted where it potentially has a really negative effect on their lives. I mean, the other thing too is that the minute that you're a celebrity spokesperson and you agree to do advertising like this, it's a great way to earn money. So that's one of the key motivations that these athletes have for doing this. Yeah, um, and I, I don't see it going away. I really don't. I mean, unless you see, let's say, a national ban, like, you know, or, or the way they ban um, uh, cigarettes, like where you can't advertise at all, and or like uh, alcohol, you don't see too many alcohol ads, but it's not like cigarettes where they put scary people over the pictures of the bottles and stuff. But unless it's national, I don't think it's going to change much. I agree. And I think that that's one of the real issues is that you have um, national bod bodies like the CRTC that are involved yeah. in regulating uh, broadcast across the country. And I guess what I would wonder is while we've seen this regarding the province of Ontario's position, I'm wondering if this sort of discussion is also taking place at other levels, because I would imagine that it is. 
Yeah, well, nonetheless, stay tuned. We'll see. It's not a decision yet, but uh, it is being uh, looked into. The other big branding headline this week, and it got a lot of attention, is Budweiser, which is uh, owned by Anheuser-Busch. Not a political company. It's just like that. It's And it's a European company that owns it, Budweiser. But Budweiser is not known for being a political company. It's like the all-American company, but they got, seem to have stepped in this uh, controversy hiring Dylan Mulvaney, um, a transgender uh, a person to do their, I guess, cel- another celebrity influencer, did not go over well with uh, their base. They've lost $5 billion in sales. Uh, the senior executives didn't know about it, so it was a decision made uh, downstairs by somebody. Um, but again, uh, it, these are the decisions they make, and they can come with costs, but they seem to hit the mark really wrong with this one. Well, I think that there definitely is a need for brands to communicate about being more inclusive and being much more accepting because obviously trends within society are are changing. And certain brands like Budweiser obviously have a reputation um, that's a bit masculine and I would argue not necessarily gender neutral in some Mm. ways. And so I think what they're trying to do is make their image broader and more appealing. But it seems like this particular initiative might have gone one step too far, given the people that are currently loyal consumers of the brand. That being said, I would also say, too, it's a $5 billion reduction in their equity in the market that's occurred over two weeks. And it's hard for us to know if that's being completely driven by this or something else. Often these things, there's a negative reaction at the beginning, but sometimes strategies in order for them to actually take hold, uh, you will actually see a reversal of that trend. And people may say, you know, actually they're doing the right thing because um, in this day and age, we have to be a lot more accepting. Well, nonetheless, I don't think it's the first, it's not the last. And then, you you know, it's funny because you you see five billion, you think, wow, that's a lot. And it's like, well, they'll probably make it back over the weekend. However, uh, maybe they won't, but we'll we'll see how this story uh, peters out. 